0: Well, thank you for being here, you all. It is a privilege to meet with you, and there are many places you could be, so I appreciate you being in Room 212 in the Community Center as we speak. So I think we'll get started. A few more may filter in, but um, would you join me in prayer? Father, this is your day, and... um, we commit to you the time that we get to spend together. Lord, I pray that it would be valuable because you speak to our hearts and we know that you are faithful and loving and present. So thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. My name is Barb Roberts and this um, Network Lunch is, the title is With Her Last Breath A Tale of Suicide and the Hope of Heaven. And it is, the workshop is based on a book that I fairly recently had published and you've seen um, outside. And it is, um, the book is based on the suicide of my husband Ken's niece, Kathy, who um, probably 36 hours or so before she took her life she wrote a 26 page handwritten journal on a yellow pad and some of you have seen the book but i just this will be a show and tell part Um, the the journal pages this is you know this is her actual writing and what the publisher did was just shrink the page down a little bit so that it would fit and um, i've just never seen anything like it before you know, I've walked alongside in a pastoral care way of people for many years and I've walked alongside of a lot of families who've had a suicide in their family. But typically and Lana you probably've seen this, typically it's a suicide note, maybe a page or but I've never seen a twenty six page journal like Kathy wrote. And uh, if you haven't seen the book and haven't and haven't, you know, seen anything about it she's very articulate I mean her life was a mess Uh, she wasn't a young kid Kathy was 54 years old she had um, gone through a lot in her life and we feel strongly and if you read her journal she felt strongly that she was going to go be with Jesus so um, in fact on multiple pages she writes that her heart, she wants to go see Jesus and hug Grandma. And uh, so she wanted wanted to be in Heaven. So thank you for joining me. Um, of the many causes of death, suicide is uniquely disruptive to families. And, you know, that's kind of a no-brainer. but. There are so many different feelings left behind with suicide, guilt and grief. And then those pile on the deep sense of loss that family members and friends experience. In fact, in the next few seconds, statistics say someone will try to take his or her life. Isn't that amazing? If we just paused for a few seconds, you know, we could watch that clock go around and think somebody would try to take their life during those few seconds. As God gave me this book, my goal during the writing and now is that this is God's book. And any of you guys who know me, uh, Ken especially, know that that's my heart. Through all of it, my desire is that he be honored, that um, if somebody can be helped or can help somebody to help somebody, then that's my heart in their caregiving for families who are struggling or in their own contemplation and desperation those are kind of the categories you know it might be somebody who's coming alongside it might be a family member who you know has taken their life or it might even be somebody contemplating in fact I've been asked is is this a book I could give to somebody who's talked about suicide And what I always say is, boy, you just need to be prayerful about that. I'm not sure. It depends on the person. And the one who can show you, you know, James 1.5 says, if we lack wisdom, we need to ask and God will give it, right? So we need to ask if that particular person could be helped by this book. Only God knows that. But when I first heard, and probably when Ken and I first heard that Kathy had taken her life, the pain was so bad I could barely stand it. My first reaction was, if only. If only I'd called her one more time. If only we'd had her to dinner or taken her to dinner one more time. If only we had taken the suicide talk more seriously. I mean, she didn't tell us a plan. But you know, she, she was despairing and desperate. And we knew that. And, and yet I know better. I know that I can't keep anybody from taking their life. I can't fix anybody. If there's one thing I've learned in 33 years of pastoral care ministry, that ought to be it, right? Mm -hmm. And yet when this happened, it was, if only. You know, it hurts to lose a family member at any time, under any circumstances. However, death by suicide sort of taps into that deep emotion of grief and guilt and anger and sadness, and it's all just kind of glumped together. And as we um, think about this book and Kathy's journal, what I tried to do with each journal page is, as I mentioned, write a chapter. But I tried to take something on that page and put a chapter heading like Recognizing the Signs is chapter one. Grieving and suicide. Serving the lonely. The pain is too bad. uh, What do you believe about suffering? And um, again, suicide has happened so often in our society lately. It almost seems normal. How sad is that, you guys? That it seems normal to think about suicide. But consider Sandra. Pretty, vivacious, she grew up in a Christian family, was verbal about her faith. She felt an inner turmoil. Fellow students criticized her for her religion and tried to pressure her into taking drugs and engage in their free sex lifestyles, which she wouldn't do. She felt this inner turmoil and even talked with her Christian parents, and they tried to help. Now, I didn't know Sandra, but her body was found one morning in the family car where she had died by carbon monoxide poisoning. This was a young girl, a young teenage girl. At some point, anybody, all of you guys, who's involved in people helping will be faced with somebody who's threatening suicide. I talked to a gal yesterday, um, one of our volunteers from Cherry Creek Press, whose sister tried to commit suicide yesterday. Now, she didn't succeed. They found her, and they hospitalized her. That was just yesterday. So any of us can be affected. In fact, in the past few months, maybe two and a half or three months, in the Denver area, there have been suicide suicides not just suicide attempts in five area high schools including Valor Christian High School. It has been heart-wrenching for me. In fact every time I hear of another student taking their life I feel incredibly sad and sick inside. For the family who's discovered their loved one has taken their life there are often immediate and sometimes long-lasting effects. Many of the painful par- parts of the process of grief, as, as I mentioned, are, are similar. You know, But these emotions can go from crying and shock to nightmares, confusion, loss of sleep, appetite. Years ago, here at Cherry Creek, in one of these large homes right across that parking lot, we had a 14-year-old who went on one of our high school our high school youth retreats they got home on a Sunday afternoon he went into this beautiful home went upstairs to his parents bedroom and shot himself so that night who one who was then um, our youth pastor and myself opened up the church and we had students streaming in here until midnight and Kathy remembers that Gary Collins, in his book, How to Be a People Helper, writes this. Almost everyone who attempts suicide gives some clues. Listen to this, you guys. Some clues of their intentions ahead of time. Sometimes it's pretty clear. You know, I had somebody else come up to me today at assembly saying that they had just talked to someone who was thinking about committing suicide. That's a pretty clear clue. But more often, the clues are much more subtle. And the helper has to be alert. So there, it's kind of five types of clues. Verbal, like I just mentioned. You know, they indicate somehow that they're contemplating. Secondly, behavioral, what they might do. Third is descriptive, who they are. Are they a loner? you know is there a high school student for instance doesn't have to be high school but are they just really a loner the next one is situational what has happened in their life what traumatic event has happened in their life and thirdly or i said thirdly i think this is number five um symptomatic how are they coping with that traumatic event and all of these clues you know can can sort of come together, and, and that's a really dangerous situation. It's crucial that we recognize the signs. They talk about committed suicide. You've all heard of this when they give away prized possessions. They suddenly have trouble eating or sleeping, and they're despondent, little interest in life withdrawal from friends and social activities. You know, they've been pretty engaged, and then all of a sudden, they don't want to have anything to do with their really close friends. As the caregiver, be careful to be non-judgmental. treat their problems very seriously, take their threats seriously, certainly, ask direct questions. Try to assess the seriousness of the risk. Don't leave the person alone. Um, A number of years ago, we received a call in the church office uh, from someone who was threatening suicide. And um, one of the secretaries, the assistants, gave the call to me. And I knew I couldn't let her off the phone. So I had to be very careful to keep her on the phone. And all the while I'm trying to write a note to one of our pastors to get to that house. So we did, but it's really important to not leave that person alone. And we need to take all threats and plans seriously. Even if you feel it's a plea for attention, that's okay. Take it seriously. God uses people To bring his presence into our broken world. Either person to person. Through notes, phone calls, emails. Or a variety of other ways and means. But for the one who's choosing to end his life. He may not appreciate or even be aware. Of the one that God sends to help. He experiences that one final straw. Just, you know, one more stress. One more part of the thinking process that says, no more. Listen to these words from Don Sweeting. He used to be our senior pastor here, and he's now president of Colorado Christian University. And he wrote this as kind of an endorsement in my book. I just thought this was so powerful. Don says, according to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, suicides in America are at their highest rate in 50 years. It is now the second leading cause of death for young people. Now, get this, between the ages of 10 and 34, which means that few families are left untouched by the tragic yet complicated stories that lead someone to take their own life. And this is still Don speaking. Barb Roberts' family was not untouched. Neither was mine. Neither was Don's untouched. How does one even begin to process the pain the loss and the questions, let alone the risk factors and warning signs that accompany this unwanted journey. So my book, With Her Last Breath, looks for answers of hope. Because obviously, if somebody's gonna take their life, their, their hope is all gone. They're hopeless. Suicide happens so often that it almost seems normal. People used to think that Christians didn't commit suicide. In fact, we have someone that we're very close to, um, and and you, some of you guys may struggle with this, that um, aren't convinced if somebody commits suicide that they'll go to be with Jesus. So Ken and I have had to grapple with that. Um, but let me read a portion from Kathy's book. You'll understand how articulate she is and she's writing this. I'm trying to trust God like Uncle Walt said, but every day is worse than the day before. Killing myself is the only thing that makes any sense. Nothing seems to matter except letting go of this impossible life. How did it ever get so bad? How did I ever wind up so alone? I know God is with me all the time and because of that I shouldn't have fear but I'm full of it. The only thing that's keeping me from completely losing my mind at this moment is writing it all down. I just found a bug crawling across my shirt. It's not safe to sit here. I really don't think I want to deal with any of this anymore. I've had enough. I wish I didn't have to spend the last hours of my life alone and worrying about bugs crawling all over me. I can't even relax on this couch. I could spend the time reflecting on my life, but there's not really much to look at. Somebody asked me yesterday here at Assembly who'd read the book if I thought those bugs that Kathy describes much more explicitly in her book are real. We don't know. I mean, her apartment had some real needs for cleanliness, but we're not sure whether at those, you know, she's very articulate in her writing, so whether those bugs were in her mind, I don't know. Why has all this happened on top of everything else? I could have gone my whole life without a problem like these bugs. All of this is pointing me in one direction, up to the balcony and over the edge. I want to read to you a suicide note left by um, a young woman in, that I mentioned in one of our area high schools in these last um, two and a half months. She probably wrote this, um, I don't know, maybe six weeks ago. I love you all more than you will ever know. I love you all very much and my biggest fear about all of this has been you guys. I worry about what will happen if I leave. My wish is that you will understand that you were amazing to me. You made me smile and laugh daily. You gave me memories I will always cherish. You supported me and cared for me. My hope is telling you, my hope in telling you this is to keep you from wondering what if. You all helped me the best you could. I hope you choose to remember the wonderful things about me. Just remember, I'll be protecting you from above. She was 16 years old. And she was in one of our area high schools. <laughs> A bit more about my book. It's certainly, and and I I know some of you and um, know that it would be for you to help those as you walk alongside of them, in your ministry or your career. It would certainly be to help those who have been left behind by the suicide of one of their families. I hope it gives insight into that first-hand look into the trauma of suicide contemplation and tools to be aware of the warning signs. Grief takes as long as it takes, I often tell people. And the grief and shame which accompanies death by suicide makes healing complicated and interwoven throughout my book, I hope, are helps for coping and healing. You know, when I say Grief takes as long as it takes. That's true if you have someone that has been dying for five years of Alzheimer's and die, um, as my sister did last year. That takes as long as it takes if you have someone who dies of a heart attack. And that certainly is true if you have someone who dies from death by suicide. Here's another part of Kathy's journal. These are thoughts from Kathy. I imagine that heaven is a million times better than this. There's no better place to be. No more tears or sorrow of any kind, only joy and peace. Why wouldn't anyone wanna go to heaven as soon as possible? It makes me wonder why I've waited so long. Still, it's gonna be hard to make myself go up the stairs and actually do it. Even at this moment, I'm not sure if I have the nerve. But I know it's the only way, the only thing that makes any sense to me. It's now 10 more hours until 3.30 a.m. That will be the best time when hopefully nobody will be around. I can't stop thinking about Loreen and how next to Grandma, she's the first person I'd like to meet in Heaven. Do you hear how articulate? You know, sometimes we fool ourselves when we're in ministry um, of any kind and think that a person who takes their life is so confused and mentally ill and couldn't have clear thoughts. And we need to understand that there are people who are struggling so much that this is the horrible way they choose. Kathy's journal not only details the act itself, but her reasoning behind her suicide. As I mentioned, it's her depiction of why she could not stay here one more day, looking forward to her hope of heaven. You know, yes, Kathy became hopeless here but she didn't lose hope; she had a hope of heaven. Now, was it accurate thinking? No, we know that, but we're trying to understand people, right, who have this kind of thinking. Um, Kathy took her life, which is very unusual for a woman by hanging, um, and you know often. Um, In fact, the sister of the woman I talked to yesterday here at General Assembly, who attempted suicide yesterday, took pills. And that's far more common, particularly for a woman. So it's very rare. Um, Each chapter is tied, as I mentioned, to a page in her journal, kind of intertwining the pages with stories of others and maybe tools to help. Hearing other stories of struggle and suffering in any manner, I think can help us. It sort of makes sense a little bit out of suffering. And maybe we can emerge with more of a vision of God's love and his faithfulness. It's all about perspective. A Couple months ago, I had gum surgery. Painful, some bruising. Difficult to chew. I had to be careful not to disturb the stitches on that side. And it would be easy, I think for any of us, when having a procedure like this and the aftermath and the healing process, to get so focused on how much it hurts, not to recognize comparisons with others who are hurting far more. It's all about perspective. And God reminds me of that. You know, I walk alongside of people who are struggling in all kinds of ways. In the midst of the assembly this morning, we had a woman come in from the inner city who needed a bag of food. We have an amazing food closet that our, our people provide. Well, that's suffering when, you know, there are eight bazillion people around in the lobby out here, and you have to go in there and ask for a bag of food. So I've never had to do that. I don't know about you guys. But it's so important for us, isn't it, as people who care for others, to realize perspective. So I deal with, uh, we have a Deacon Benevolence Fund here at church, and once a month, LaRue, who's sitting out at that table, will set up appointments for me to meet with um, people who need financial help. They might need a month's rent. They like this woman who came in today. Need food. Um, they don't have any money to pay a specific bill. And we have guidelines, of course, that I've developed over the years of what we can or will do and what what we won't do. Um, you know, no money for rent. No money to help with their little one. Last month, well we didn't do benevolence in June, so May, in the May benevolence appointments, I met one of the, I think I had maybe nine or ten appointments that afternoon, and one of them was a young single mom, um, a little child. She had a job, but she had moved into um, one of our inner city agencies called Warren Village that's wonderful and yet she couldn't pay rent there, which is compared to what most people pay in Denver today. This is really cheap. She didn't have enough money to pay rent. She had no food. I think she had a three or four year old. And I met with her and I always ask people in the midst of our meeting, you know, not to try to put them in a corner or anything, tell me where God is for you. And uh, we have a discussion, and sometimes we have a wonderful discussion, and I don't know, I don't really care. For her, she was so beaten down and so hurting. Now, I don't know about any of you, and maybe you're different than Ken and me, and we had a lot of years where we had no money. But we never had to go to a, a church and ask for money for rent. It's all about perspective, isn't it? And it's all about perspective when we think about those who are taking their own life. There are many in our world who are struggling with depression and loneliness. And my challenge for me and for all of you guys is to look around us. See those who are hurting far more than we are. See those we could help interact with others and listen to their pain and this is a tricky part rather than complaining about our own well let me tell you about my surgery that i had a month ago and i know none of you would do that but uh, <laughs> but we've all done that right i know i have i i'm just because of doing this for so long i'm a lot better about it than i used to be but Um, how important that is, to listen, 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 far more than talking. We need to be willing to listen to somebody else's pain. We certainly can interject hope into what may seem like a hopeless situation, and, and I think God directs us to do that. But I have to tell you, when I'm sitting with somebody in my office over in the other building, and Ken knows this, I may not think of it every time, but most times I'm sitting there and inside I'm saying, and I don't care how long I've done caring ministry, I say, Lord, I don't have a clue what to say to this person. But you do. If we ask for wisdom, we just need to ask Him and He will give it, James 1 5 says to us, right? So I. Almost always say that. And God already knows that, right? I'm not telling him anything he doesn't know. But when I'm meeting with somebody who's despairing, I, you know, somebody, people will say, well, go ask Barb. She'll know. I've had people at this assembly say that to me. What do I know? (laughs) A lot.
1: A lot. A lot. 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 No.
0: I. I, Yes, I've been doing it a lot, but I don't know. God knows, and He chooses to speak to us because He said He would, and we either either believe that He will, or we don't, and if we don't, we're in really big trouble. Um, Above all else. Remember that we have one who listens to us, Mm -hmm. the God who made us, who knows us intimately, who sent his son to die for us. He cares about our pain. So we can take time to care about another's pain. Uh, I want to go through a brief look at the risk factors for somebody contemplating. Certainly somebody that has a history of previous attempts, They are way high on the risk scale. A family history of suicide. Um, If somebody has had suicide in their family, when that person gets despairing, even if it's been in their far back family, they're going to remember stories that they've heard. A third one is a history of depression or mental illness. Certainly alcohol or drug abuse is another. A stressful life event or loss. You know, somebody may be barely holding together, and then they get a diagnosis or a diagnosis for one of their children. And it might be the proverbial final straw. Easy access to lethal methods. You know, this young 14-year-old boy named Luke, and Kathy knew him, um, that I mentioned, He had an access in his parents' bedroom to a gun, and he knew where it was, and he went upstairs and shot himself after a youth retreat. Exposure to the suicidal behavior of others is another risk factor. Incarceration. We have a gentleman in our church, his name is Jim, who um, is wonderful at visiting in, is it Arapahoe County Jail? and he has talked to us about how suicidal so many of those prisoners are that he visits. Here are some, those are the risk factors, okay? These are warning signs. Talk about committing suicide. You may have heard somebody say, oh, if they talk about it, they're not gonna do it. That is not true. That is a warning sign. Secondly, Suddenly has trouble eating or sleeping and is despondent with little interest in life. Experiences drastic changes in behavior. <coughs> a withdrawal, you know, from friends, from social activities that they've been doing before. <coughs> Prepares for death by making out a will or funeral arrangements, kind of getting their affairs in order. Contacting family members and friends to tell them he or she loves them in ways that seem to be saying goodbye. Now, it's not like they're going to say goodbye, necessarily. That's pretty obvious. But if they all of a sudden go through every family member and tell them how much they love them, and you combine them with some of these other Mm -hmm. things, that's very concerning. Gives away prized possessions, as we mentioned before has attempted suicide before, experiences recent severe losses, especially suicide by somebody close, is preoccupied with death and dying. That's another one. Loses interest in personal appearance. You know, doesn't shower, doesn't care about brushing their teeth, doesn't particularly comb their hair, dramatically increases the use of drugs and alcohol, suddenly appears euphoric after having been depressed. Because once they've made the decision, kind of that, it sounds so weird to those of us who have not been in that place, but it's kind of like <sighs> the decision's been made, and, and they just feel it's Their struggle and their pain and their heartache is kind of resolved because they've made that decision. So their whole demeanor changes. So what might you say? Here are things to say, and then I'm going to tell you things not to say. Um, You could just say something like, you are really important to me. Your life is really important to me. Or, tell me what I can do to help you. You're not alone. I'm here for you. I'm not sure how I can help, but I want to. I'm here. Be a good listener. If there's one piece of advice I would share from my, <coughs> we in my caring ministry, how it would be, Listen. If you're not a good listener, if you talk more than you listen, switch that around. Because um, in caring for somebody, in coming alongside of somebody, we need to be a good listener. Make an open-ended statement like, I'm so sorry you hurt so much. That's just open-ended. You give them an opportunity to say something or not. Allow your expression of feelings. I mean, I often cry with people. Um, It's not like I intend to, but that's just where I am. Kathy does. Mm -hmm. Kathy and I can cry with each other sometimes. Sue and I, too, sometimes. I may not totally understand how you're feeling, but I want you to know I care for you. I want you to know I'm willing to get through this with you will you agree to talk with me if those suicidal feelings return and if not me is there somebody else that you'd be willing to talk to now get involved and take action remove the means you know, if you've got a kid that's threatened to hang themselves, take pills, um, use a gun, that's a no-brainer, right? We need to remove the gun, the rope, the pills. Ask the person to tell somebody, their parents or spouse, their best friends, if the person is underage, call the parents. Better they be mad than dead. Here are things not to say, and I know you guys would never say any of these, but just in case. We all go through times like this. You'll be fine. Stop worrying so much. Look on the bright side. (laughs) It's all in your head. You have so much to live for. Why would you want to end it all? You have to think through that one, because that one sounds like kind of a good thing to say. But we're trying to fix it, aren't we? I can't do anything about your situation, so just snap out of it. Stop acting crazy. What's wrong with you? Shouldn't you be better by now? Okay, now. Those were kind of bad. These are really bad.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: These are, there are seven that you should never say. Yeah, they get worse, Lana. Everything happens for a reason. This is God's plan. Now, see, on the surface, that sounds like a good thing, right? No. What? Oh, this, I love this one. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. (laughs) Well, at least it's not cancer. Just think positive thoughts. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. This is the, the last one, but... At least you have one healthy child. Now, I didn't write that. Somebody else wrote that. I would never say that, but here are some more don'ts. These aren't, aren't really things not to say, but um, it's just good things for us to remember as we care about other people. Don't judge, condemn, or blame. And that's, that's subtle. That's, that can be really subtle. Don't use cliches. Isn't it a blessing that he's no longer suffering? I remember—I mean, my dad didn't take his life, but uh, he after the Sunday after he died. Um, it's been a lot of years ago, but we were here, and I remember walking down the hallway over there um, by what we kind of by what we now call fuel and. And somebody came up to me and said that. My dad had just died the week before. Isn't it a blessing? He's no longer suffering. Mm-hmm. And Barb Roberts was pretty assertive that day. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, I might feel that way someday, but right now it just hurts. What would you say?
1: That
0: was very nice <laughs> she thought that was nice of me (laughs) don't encourage a person to think about something else don't assume responsibility for the person or his crisis and don't think it's your job to eliminate their pain or discomfort and I know those of us who care about people want to do that Somehow we wanna to try to, to fix it or to eliminate their pain. Don't be sworn to secrecy. That's really important. Um, certainly, good grief, my, my office has an umbrella of confidentiality over the whole thing, but that's different. Don't be judgmental. Don't debate either about the issues involved or the need to get help. It is better to have a person angry with you, the caregiver, than to have them dead. When someone has lost someone to suicide, remember they're in shock. And they're grieving. And yes, they need to let people help you, help them. So, you know that that's something just for us to remember. They may not be ready even though they need that. Understand the we need to understand the guilt and hopefully help them to understand that too. If only is perhaps the most intense emotion they will struggle with. And one thing that we can really encourage them with is they don't need to struggle alone. They can call somebody. I often tell people, you can call me day or night. And I give my cell phone to anybody pretty much. Um. <laughs> What'd you say? You said, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> my husband agrees with that. Don't be judgmental. And we're not there to debate the issues with them. We're just there to help them. So, you know, we need to allow them and maybe even encourage them to get professional help. Because as a caregiver, that doesn't make the caregiver the professional. So um, I don't know if you all know what Stephen Ministry is, um, but it's a come-alongside ministry, but they're not a counselor. So most care receivers that the Stephen Minister comes alongside of need a Stephen Minister, and that's great. They need that one-on-one care, but there are times when they need more than a Stephen Minister. And those are the times that I will really encourage the Stephen minister to encourage the care receiver to also get counseling. Uh, Because a Stephen minister is not the end all for these kinds of of pain. In uh, chapter 12, I talk about Psalm 34. the, The title of that chapter is Hearing God's Voice. But this verse is so valuable for all of us. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So when can we hear God's voice and when we do, what does it sound like? I don't have a pat answer for this, but what does it take to hear him? Our hearing from God is certainly not just at those times when all is still and quiet and you've had two hours by yourself reading scripture and praying, when you've had that long peace-filled prayer time. Nor is it necessarily at those times when things around us are falling apart. And in desperation we long for and listen to God's voice. Sometimes it's just in the mundane, right? That we can hear God's voice because God knows us. He knows us inside out. And don't you think He being God can help us hear His voice? Sometimes we get so frustrated and think, well, I can't hear God's voice. And we all have that. And and there are a lot of reasons for that. But I often think to myself, but you're God and I'm not. So he can help us know how to help somebody else. Because he knows us inside and out. He knows our language. He knows exactly what we need. He doesn't tell us in Psalm 34 not to be brokenhearted, right? He tells us he is close to the brokenhearted. Nor does he try to rebuke us when we are crushed in spirit. He gives us yet another opportunity to hear from him. Learning to really listen is an acquired skill. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of you are good listeners. And some of you know that about yourself or not, you know, whether you are or not. But if you're not, and you probably know that about yourself, it's an acquired skill. It's not like, well, I don't have the gift of listening, it's not a spiritual gift. With some of you, you just may have to work at it harder. Very often, if we're honest with ourselves, we find we do not concentrate on the skill of listening. But John t- in John 10, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and they know me. Now, God wouldn't say that if it isn't true. So for us to say, well, I, never, I don't know if it's God's voice. If we're God's sheep, we hear his voice. But it may be an acquired skill to listen to his voice. So, I'd like, these are two questions I'm not going to answer for you, but I would like you to think about them going forward. Where is your safe place, and who is your safe person? I would hope that you all have a safe place and a safe person. I'll tell you who my safe person is, Ken Roberts. I can share anything with him. I don't always agree with him, and he doesn't always agree with me. But he's my safe person. And if you don't have a safe person, I would hope that you would find one. Someone that you can share with. Okay, I want to tell you my top 11 things to do in ministering to the hurting. Number one, being in someone's pain with them involves being all there. All there. God uses theory and practice, but God uses me and God uses you. God wants me to listen to him on the spot, to be available, to be used, and ministered to all the same time. Now, I don't know how he does that, but I know he does it. I can do nothing on my own without His using me, but Philippians 4.13 tells me I can do what? All things through Him who strengthens me. Number two, I need to respect the dignity of those who come through my doors or over my phone line for help, even those who may push my buttons. So I need to have a spirit of discernment from Him to be non-judgmental, I may not agree with them, but they're still in pain and they still need a listener. Number three, it's really important to have a view from another's eyes. In a, a church service, a baby baptism may be a wonderful thing that we all love, but what about the person who's sitting there who's the age of a grandparent and has never had grandchildren. It's not such a beautiful theme for them. What about the mom who has had miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage, or she's a mom's age but has had all these miscarriages and she comes to church and there's a baby baptism. So we need to have a view from another's eyes Those who, or or what about those who are single and really, really, really want to be married? Number four, as much as I might want it, I cannot take another's pain, take away another's pain, nor can I fix the problem. But I can help bear the burdens of that one. This is what I'm called to do in Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Number five, I've learned to listen, and that to give my example or my story, which may at the time seem really important and really relevant, may be a deterrent for that person you're trying to help. Number six, silence is precious. Words need to be guarded very carefully. Sometimes incessant talking and inappropriate humor can be an irritant. Whose needs am I meeting? Mine or the one for whom I'm caring? Um, Late at night, one night, I got a call. I was on call. And the husband of this young woman, um, I don't think he'd ever been here to Cherry Creek. She had been just a few times. He had jumped out of the ninth story of a parking garage and killed himself. And a friend was calling for me to come be with her and I got over there, and it was well. I say late at night. It was ten thirty or eleven, I think. And there was, um, she was probably in her thirties. I think he was a little bit older, in his forties. Her husband, who had just taken his life, um, and her house was just full of people, all of her friends, and. It was a good thing that they were there and a horrible thing how they were being. They didn't know how to be. So there was laughter everywhere, and they were, you know, they were just trying to figure out what to do. And as I've said before, all the way over there, I'm praying, Lord, I don't know what to do or say. Even It doesn't matter how many suicides I've walked alongside of people. So God just showed me. I went in there and she was glad to see me. I didn't know her well and she didn't know me well. She recognized me. And I just said, why don't we go in here? So the only place in her house, it wasn't a big house, that was quiet was this little area in her kitchen. And I just took her in there and we sat at the kitchen table. And I was just kind of quiet and she began to talk. it's important to just be there. Just, you don't have to have the perfect thing to say. You don't have to be freaked out by, I could never come alongside of somebody. Well, none of us could. God is the one that has the answers for that kind of situation. So words need to be guarded. Sometimes, though, I need to be, so number seven is, sometimes I need to be bold in giving care. I need to have have the freedom to ask the delicate, uncomfortable questions. Are you struggling? Was it hurtful? Um, I went to the hospital to visit um, an elderly woman who was on a lot of life care support, but she was awake and I didn't know what to say. So God just directed me. I kind of leaned right down by her bed and I said, Are you afraid? And she nodded yes and tears just started streaming down her cheeks. And then I was we were able to talk and we talked for a little bit and I prayed and then I walked over to the side with one of her adult daughters and she said, I'm so glad you asked mom if she was afraid. We sensed she was, but we didn't know how to ask. Well, I didn't know how to do that. That was God, right? He directs us what to say, when to say it. Sometimes the greatest care I can give is to find out what wisdom somebody else might have. So number eight is I really believe in the value of corporate wisdom. And anybody who knows me in caregiving knows that. It's not like I feel Barb Roberts has all the answers. I don't, you guys. So I really believe in the value of corporate wisdom. There's a proverb that says in a multitude of counselors there's safety. That's
1: exactly right.
0: I love that, Barbie. Um, Number nine, there's beauty in rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. That's from Romans 12, 15. God uses the comfort we've all received to comfort another. Number 10, grief takes as long as it takes. It's a process, not a destination. And I dare not put another on my timetable for hurting. Number 11, we've all heard and probably said the deathbed is a very holy place for the believer. But for the one who doesn't have the assurance of going to be with Jesus, it may be a terrifying place. If we're privileged to be with them in that moment, maybe just holding their hand is what God will use. As the caregiver, we primarily need to recognize that we cannot fix another's pain. So I love Romans. 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what is our job anyway in caring for somebody who's hurting? As, as I've said two other times today, some of us feel it's to fix it, take away the pain, or at least shorten the length of the crisis. But while we, I really want you, if you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember this. We are responsible to the other person, but we are not responsible for them. And that is such an important distinction in caring for another person. That means, as a fellow journeyer, we are responsible to come alongside, to care, to understand their pain, but it does not mean That we jump into the deep end with them and become responsible for their situation. A good description for us might be that we're this shepherd's assistant. He's the one who makes the sheep lie down in green pastures, he leads beside the still waters. He's a restorer of one's soul. But he does exhort us in Galatians 6 to do some things, to carry another's burden. For each one should carry his own load. It's it's important to differentiate between burdens and loads. The burden is that situation or problem that one needs help in carrying. We can't lift it alone. It's a two-man job. So I want to share with you in closing um, the verse that I probably use more than any other in my ministry, and it's in Lamentations 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. And what I extrapolate out of that verse is God is a God of new beginnings. Any questions or thoughts? You all—you probably have a lot of thoughts. Yes? Can I just
1: say cultivate relationships with therapists before you need them. Yeah. Because uh, mm-hmm. when I when my son mm-hmm. was suicidal, the blessing was that I knew who to call. Mm-hmm. I knew who had a good reputation. I knew who was gonna be a good counselor. Um, and so when I had that emergency, I knew who to pick up the phone to. When our kids are little, we leave that list on the fridge of, how, of who to mm-hmm. call if there's an emergency. We have to know who those people are. Mm-hmm. So know who they are, talk to the people in your community, identify where the mm-hmm. counselors are, mm-hmm. because you need to know mm-hmm. who to pick up that phone for in that min- minute, because time is of the mm-hmm. essence.
0: That's great. That is so good. Yes. I'm sorry, I was supposed to repeat the question. And, or, or the thought. The thought was um, you need to come up with a list of people to call. and. Not just the fire department, right? <laughs> yeah. But you need, before you get in trouble, you need to know therapists or um, counselors ahead of time. So that when you have the real crisis need, you'll know who to call. Great, great, great. Other questions or thoughts? Yes.
1: Well, I just wanted to bounce a thought off you well-experienced folk here. And that is a precipitating circumstance of a sudden release of pressure. <coughs> so I'm thinking about a woman who was caring for her dying mother, and uh, she was going along, being strong, you know, keeping everything together, and then her mother died, and then she became suicidal. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, another uh, young man, uh, extremely successful, high school valedictorian, you know, scholarships, awards, went off to college, became suicidal. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, somehow, you know, when that pressure was released, or the expectation, or the, whatever the goal, of the drive was <coughs> to serve someone else, or serve some expectation, or goal, and that was gone, then, that's when the suicidal hmm.
0: demon whatever you call that so came the off. the question kind of has to do with what do we do as caregivers right with those people that we think they're going along just great and yeah. you know like <laughs> the woman you mentioned her mom died and you thought oh wow the pressure's off of her now
1: she
0: handled it so beautifully. Yes. You
2: know, beautifully, everything's great. And then a few what? later. Thoughts about that? Yes. Part of it is, in my observation, is handling a new sense of loss. Mm-hmm. And even for that young man, it's a loss of identity. I was That's the, I was the great guy, and now I'm in this huge sea, and I'm just a little thing. And and a loss of identity is just as real. Mm-hmm as a loss of a friend, a loss of a job, a loss of a limb, or or health, very, very real.
0: That's great. Yes, because the loss of identity for the woman was, she was needed. She was desperately needed, and now who needs her? Yes, that's really great. Mm -hmm. Now what? Fred? I've I've discovered in
2: my role uh, over the years that it's really important for a caregiver to be aware of their own mm. woundedness, their own hurts and pains, mm. because if if they are suffering when they guide someone else through their suffering, where do they go then? They're yeah. still burdened with yes. their own frailties and and hardships and difficulties. Mm.
0: That's so great, Fred. That's really great. Yes.
2: Um, if I if I just want to make a comment of encouragement that even though we're talking about individuals helping out and being a blessing, don't overlook the power of the body of Christ coming together to love somebody. Mm -hmm. And let me, can I just give you two examples? Sure. just happened recently. Sure. Uh, A father of five took his life uh, just recently in our church. And now we're, we're ministering to his wife and to these five children. So we have to be the family yes. together, and that has to all come from everyone. Yes. Another woman that we had was dying slowly. Didn't know that. The, didn't know if the Lord loved her or not, and was just really on the fence, really torn. The church poured out such affection to her, writing cards, calling her, checking on her. She died with the most joy I've ever seen anybody pass away. Mm-hmm. She was a transformed woman, saying, "I know Jesus loves me because the body of Christ has loved mm-hmm. me like Jesus." Mm-hmm. And I, I just want to encourage you: it's not just one person; you together sacrifice mm-hmm. together to love people. Thank so, you. It's amazing, powerful, and, and really, really needed.
0: That's beautiful.
2: You know? Many times it might be a group of friends
0: and everybody has different things that they're more comfortable with. So somebody might be more comfortable with giving a meal. Somebody might be more comfortable with face-to-face. So, right. Staying by their side. Right. Yes. So it doesn't matter the form it takes. It's just loving somebody. Well, our time is up, but I want you to do one thing before I pray. This is a, an individual thing. I want you to take a, a few seconds and I want you to think of somebody in your life It might be your spouse, it might be your child, it might be a neighbor, it might be a parent. Somebody in your own life that you need to do a better job of listening to. Not talking, not having solutions, just listening. I don't want you to share it, I just want you to think of that. (laughs) I want you to take that away with you. And pray about it. And Lord, who... And you him want him us to listen number. and not talk? That yes, what that's what I want. I want you to listen. And give them and, your phone number? And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, give them my phone number and tell them they can call me all night. Ken doesn't they care. That's night. right. So think of, think of that person.
1: That can include God.
0: There you go. Ooh, that's amen. good, Fred. That really good. All right, let me close this in prayer. lord jesus um, where do we go but to you you are the alpha and omega you are faithful you are our shepherd you bring people into our lives that you desire for us to listen to and we recognize lord we have no answers we can fix nobody So remind us of that. Draw us closer. Open our eyes and our hearts and our ears and our minds. Help us to be better listeners. Thank you for meeting with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.